Hello and welcome back to a new year of the Pay Talks podcast and a new episode for 2022. I hope you had a great Christmas and New Year's period. My first episode of the year, I'm speaking to Brad Swain, the head coach of Maribyrnong Park Football Club, who currently play in the Essendon District Football League in Premier Division. I speak to Brad about his journey in football coaching from playing in Tasmania and coaching in Launceston. I discuss his journey from Launceston to Port Melbourne and learning off the great Gary Ayres and now becoming head coach at Maribyrnong Park. We discuss about the industries in coaching and the little nonces of it as well. So this is one for the coaches out there to learn and understand how a football coach goes about coaching at the local level from the professional level. We also chat about his love for Vietnamese food and we chat about the Tasmanian team that might come into the AFL very soon. So a lot to get into this podcast. Let's get into it and I hope you enjoy. Well, hello and welcome back to the Pay Talks podcast of 2022. We're back for another year. Yes, we are. And today I'm speaking to the Maribyrnong Park head coach, Brad Swain, and they play in the Essendon District Football League. Brad, welcome to the podcast. Pat, how are you, mate? Very good, very good. Now, Brad, what's your nickname to start us off? Oh, it's not very interesting, actually, Pat. Just um, Swainy, mate, is is what I get and what I've got my whole life, actually. (laughs) Swainy, okay. And did that start off with the grandparents calling you that or was that from from mum and dad? Oh, I don't think the family uh, would ever... Refer to me as that. I guess um, we're, we're all Swainies, aren't we? So um, no, more so in the sporting context, mate. So yeah. Um, yeah, probably at junior footy or junior basketball or even in the schoolyard, perhaps. Um, it's not a difficult one. Not not particularly creative with the kids uh, back in uh, back in the day, mate. But um, that's uh, probably what stuck the most. Yes, yes. And uh, what's your favourite food? Oh, great question. Um, I, I do love most of the Asian cuisine. So um, I'll go with uh, Vietnamese, I think. I was lucky enough to, to go to Vietnam once and um, yeah, it blew me away um, how fresh, uh, you know, it's got a fair kick in it as well with the chilli, but how fresh a lot of the produce is um, in Vietnam and I think the way that the way that we can uh, we can make it here in Australia too with such quality ingredients, it's um, it's probably my favourite, mate. Yes, yes, I'm a big fan of Vietnamese food myself, and um, it's one country I've been told to get to once COVID's over. Uh, it's a place that's really interesting. Uh, the, I'll tell you a little story, Brad. There's a little bun me shop down the road from uh, where I work at the moment in Greek Chapel, uh, just off Spencer there, and. Let's just say it gets a good run from the guys at Greek Chapel and myself. Uh, we very much appreciate food there, so it's, it's a very good bun me joint. Um, no, it's a good tip, mate. There's yeah. some good ones in Melbourne. I mean, uh, Footscray and Richmond come to mind as, as great, uh, you know, both the Victoria streets. But, uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you, you can't go wrong with a bit of bun me. Yes, yes, yes. What's your first job, mate? What was your first job when you started off in the world of work? Oh, well, I, um, I grew up on a dairy farm back in Tassie uh, all those years ago and so I suppose that's my first uh, job, uh, driving a tractor and milking the cows and um, working on the farm, mate, which, which was fabulous. I, I'm incredibly thankful for that, um, that upbringing. You know, it, it certainly teaches you um, a work ethic and teaches you the value of, 
um, money as well. You know, it's um, it's a lot of hard work that goes into into the agricultural industries, and so uh, incredibly grateful for for my parents for um, you know bringing me up in that in that context. Beyond that, I suppose once uh, in into the into the big bad world, if you like, um, my first my first full time um, office job, if you like, uh, which most of my jobs have been. Um, was as the Tassie manager of a program called Good Sports, um, which is here in Victoria as well. It's a it's a program that uh, supports community sporting clubs with their um, alcohol management, among other things. So that was my first um, first gig after I did a I did a commerce degree or a business degree um, at the University of Tasmania, and um, yeah, that was my first job in in Launceston uh, after graduating. Yes, yes. In terms of milking the cows, mate, how did you go with the early starts? <laughs> yeah, these days I'm not too sure, Pat. <laughs> um, certainly, uh, yeah, back in the day, um, early starts and, and late finishes, that was, the, that was the way of the land. But these days I'm, I'm probably more accustomed to, to night time than I am morning, truth be told. Um, my partner Steph would probably vouch for that, that, and I'm not. I'm not necessarily one to bounce out of bed uh, before the birds, mate. <laughs> and you know, give me an idea of you know being in Tasmania. What what's what, what's it like um, down there back in the day for you, bro? Oh, Tasmania is a fabulous place. I mean, I um, just went back uh, for a couple of weeks over Christmas, and it was it was great to see family and friends. Obviously, um, we've not been able to travel too much in the last. A uh, couple of years, so to get down there and spend some real quality time with um, with family and, and friends that still live in in Tasmania, um, both ends of the state, Hobart and Launceston, was um, was wonderful. And it's a it's a state that uh, obviously is really fond. Um, I'm really fond of it, and it and it holds a, a really dear place in my heart. Um, big part of who I am, and. Um, influenced me growing up and, and um, obviously my early adult life as well. I think I was, I think I was uh, just about 30 when I moved across to, to Melbourne. Um, so as you, you mentioned just before, you know, first job and first um, girlfriend and first, you know, beer with mates and um, all of those things. Um, certainly my, uh, most of my, you know, early sporting experiences were in Tasmania. Um, as, a, as a junior across multiple sports, um, that was that was a big part of my life growing up. You know, I always played footy in uh, winter um, on a on the weekend and basketball on a Friday night in the winter as well. And then a uh, little athletics for me in the in the summer. Um, I never never played competitive cricket um, through the summer as a as a child growing up, but obviously played. A hell of a lot of it in the backyard. Um, I was I was incredibly lucky that um, one of my cousins, Trent, he um, he lived only just up the road and was only a couple of months older than me. So we would uh, we would periodically play, you know, England versus Australia. We'd have eleven batsmen each in the backyard, and um, Phil Tufnell would come off the short run when you were exhausted, and you know. Gladstone Small would come charging in at you uh, if you had a bit of energy first thing in the morning. So, um, of course, he was never out um, and, and I was always out when I um, didn't hit them. But uh, uh, needless to say, mate, that uh, those 
those games of backyard sport um, for me were, were massive growing up, and um, it's probably it's probably a big part of why sports still you know significant in my life today. Yes, yes. In terms of uh, your local footy and local basketball, mate, what positions were you? Oh yeah, I, I was never much of a player. Pat, uh, truth be told, <laughs> I, I can't um, I can't really uh, sit here and talk you through the highs of my football playing career. Um, as a kid, I, I was always a, a relatively tall kid. I probably uh, you know I've got a beard now, and I probably had that at about fourteen as well, mate. So. Um, I was a sort of centre-half back or ruckman uh, as a kid and then obviously once you get to that about sort of 14, um, 15 kind of age group, um, someone that's six foot or six foot one like me um, ends up trying their, trying their hat at playing as a midfielder or as a wingman or a flanker um, as you go up through the, through the age groups and, and try and improve yourself. So, yeah, I, I was probably a... Probably a backman as a kid, mate, and then uh, gave the game away uh, when I was 17 uh, due to injury. I, I stopped playing the game of footy. Uh, so pretty unusual sort of background for a, for a senior coach, I suppose, um, in so much as I, I really don't have a senior playing career to speak of. I uh, Yeah, after giving the game away at 17, um, I, I went off and... And did a few other things, like I mentioned before, uh, focusing on study and, and trying to make a career in uh, in marketing communications. And um, I also then was able to, uh, through some mates, get involved in uh, club cricket, which was great. Um, I know you're a keen cricketer as well, Pat, an all-rounder. Got a bit of Cameron Green about you, but uh, <laughs> I certainly didn't have those sort of skills either. But did uh, did spend a good chunk of time in my sort of early adulthood um, toiling away at the game of cricket, you know, as a player and a bit of a coach and um, ended up sort of president of my cricket club down in Tassie as well, the Westbury Shamrocks, who have gone on to strength and strengths since I left, <laughs> uh, which is great. Um, but, yeah, I, I didn't um, didn't have anything to do with footy, mate, um, basically for, for 10 years. Um from yeah, the, the age of seventeen to about twenty five or twenty six, I think I was um, when I started when I started coaching footy. So a really unusual entry to senior coaching, um, but uh, yeah, not one that um, not one that I'm not confident to talk about or or, or to own. Um, I actually think that it's a big part of that sort of journey. Is a big part of um, why I'm able to coaching the way that I do now I obviously with that period of time away from the game um, when I decided to get back involved um, I really need to educate myself about how to do it and how to do it well so for me that meant uh, you know going along to watch um, watch football training and, and watch games and the preparation for them at, at, at all levels local um Tasmanian State League, um, Victorian Football League and, and indeed the AFL spent a lot of time just consuming how the game was prepared for, you know, several years after I'd left it and um, took the opportunity to do as much education as I could. Um, so all the accreditation courses and the, and the national coaching conferences and what have you and um, what, I, what I discovered um, 
was that the game and the way that you train for it and prepare for it had changed significantly um, since I was knocking around at sort of junior level in the in the nineties. So um, that was that was probably quite important for my approach um, to be as sort of contemporary and modern um, in that approach as I could possibly be. And I'd done a bit of education um, through a, a job that I had as well through the early 2000s, which was around um, recreational leadership. Um, and so I'd learned quite a bit about, um, you know, how to, how to structure organised play, um, how to, um, you know, make sure that participation and enjoyment and development was being maximised, um, not just that, you know, you're delivering a training session, which um, sometimes was the case. I mean, I can vividly remember... You know, in, in my younger days, um, uh, and this is in no way a, a slight on the, the coaches or the programs I was involved with, I, I have enormous um, gratitude and thanks for for all of those. The reality was, uh, and it still is sometimes today when you wander around the suburbs, um, that cone-to-cone sort of nature of, mm. of training, um, that closed skill focus um, that is just not the reality of, the game of Australian rules football or indeed any invasion sport. Um, you've got an opposition uh, and, and they want to they want to get the ball off you. Uh, they want to prevent you from obviously scoring um, and you want to do the same when they've got it. And Of course, uh, in our great game, um, it's in dispute a hell of a lot of the time too. So how do you practice and teach those skills um, is, I don't think on reflection, something that, I would have spent a lot of time on as a kid. So trying to trying to influence that now um, is really exciting, mate. I mean, at our club, we've got um, a, a wonderful pathway for, for junior players um, from under eights right through to senior football at um, uh, Essendon District Premier Division level, which is a really high standard of footy. Um, I'd sort of put it up there with the, the Eastern Football League and the, and, and the Ammos probably. Maybe the Northern Footy League as the as the top tier uh, community football leagues in in Melbourne and in Victoria, and um, I think to have that pathway available to our players is one thing, but um, it's incumbent upon us as as players and administrators to make sure that the program itself um, does allow them to to come through and maximise that enjoyment and that development um, in their in their football skill sets. And of course, that that has some some broader impact on on young people's lives as well. And I think um, we shouldn't underestimate that. And probably, if ever we did, we've we've realised it over the last couple of years, having uh, a lot of that community involvement taken away from us. Um, you know, we uh, be that volunteers, coaches, players, supporters, um, parents, families, um, the the number of people here locally. Uh, in the Maribyrnong area, Mooney Ponds, Ascot Vale, that I speak to who just um, are chomping at the bit to, to get their footy team back on the park in, in April this year. Um, it says a lot, I think, about the role that sport has um, in individual lives but also in the context of our broader community. So, yeah, I'm lucky, mate. I, I, get, to, I get to start training tonight, actually. Uh, oh, we zoom our... We resume our pre-season tonight, so the footies are pumped up and we're, we're raring to go um, tonight for the 2022 season. So 
looking forward to that. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, what you were saying there, it's to do with that, you know, that junior, the junior training and the processes, and you were saying, you know, something you learned from being outside of the game for so long, coming back into it. What, why, why, what do you see from, from plain English terms, from my point of view, when I see guys training football now, I see it's a lot more highly professional, a lot more aerobic capacity in terms of that. Is, is that what, the, what you saw when you got to these coaching these coaching sessions and learn and learnings from that is is that what you saw in terms of in terms of that if you know what I mean? Yeah, no, good question. And I think fundamentally it's about trying to break down the game that you're trying to educate, that you're trying to teach. Um, understanding that it's a team game, of course. So you can't teach 22 individuals. Um, to play the game of Aussie rules and then expect them to go out on a Saturday or a Sunday and, and perform together. There's a lot of um, connection, communication, understanding of how you would like to play that needs to be um, needs to be learned and, and and there has to be buy-in as well. And that happens now. So I mentioned that you know we commenced training tonight. So that connection, that communication, and that understanding of the way we want to play. Uh, for 2022 commences tonight and, and you build on what you've done before Christmas and you build on what you did last year um, so that there's a, a connection and understanding of, of how we'd like to compete for the ball, how we'd like to defend it and how we'd like to, to move it to potentially score. Um, but outside of that, fundamentally, um, it's about trying to educate the game itself. So if you take a... a tiny snapshot, literally a still image of um, a moment in any game of footy and then basically try and replicate that at training, you'll go a long way to to educating and developing the participants in that training session. So what you won't find when you take that still shot of an AFL game or a local game um, is five people queued up behind a cone waiting to get a kick. Uh, It just doesn't exist, doesn't happen in our game. Now, that's notwithstanding you have to do skill development and that um, more often than not, in our case, has to happen away from training. It has to be a, uh, an individual-led um, pursuit. But when, when our guys are at training, they understand that they'll probably spend most of it um, replicating parts of the game. And, and you, you manipulate that as a coach. So uh, you want the ball to move, so you, you outnumber in offence. Um, you want the ball to stop, so you outnumber in defence. You know, you want them to work on spreading the ball from the inside to the outside of the contest. So you start inside a small space, and and on the whistle, they're allowed to get the ball out as quickly as possible. So um, yes, it's about understanding what the game looks like in, in various moments, and then um, I guess manipulating some of the variables around that. Um, to maximise the particular learning or teaching point that you you focused on um, on that particular day. Yeah, and in terms of that, Brad, do you see do you see football today being overcoached? Like it's something that I see, in the, especially even in the amateur level, that there's just so much more to do with analytics now than to do with just getting the football and moving it down the line and getting the guy, the big tall forward, to take the block like it used to be. Do you think it's so analytical now that it's got to a point where there's overanalyzing for the sake of overanalyzing. If you get, if you get my give my gif. No, I do. I think there's um, I think there's potential for that, Pat. Uh, but it does 
depend significantly on the the um, the attitude of the coaching team. So at Maribyrnong Park in the senior men's program, we have we have twelve coaches um, now. To many, and your reaction to that might be, well, that's a lot uh, at community footy. Um, but let's not forget that we have um, seniors, reserves, thirds, and two under-18s uh, in the senior men's program. So you, you do need a significant number of coaches, you know, at training and potentially looking at 80 or 90 players. Um, and as I said before, if you're going to break down the game and give everyone maximum opportunity to learn and, and develop their craft, um, then they're probably doing that in pretty small groups most of the time. So you actually do need to have um, a significant number of um, bodies on the ground that can um, that can facilitate that that learning or that activity. So um, I, I don't think there are too many, um, but uh, if the attitude of those coaches is to try and um, explain and teach and um, have all their players rope learn, you know, each tiny little moment in the game, then, yes, absolutely, that would be overanalyzed. That would not allow personal freedom and personal strengths to come to the fore. So it's about creating an environment where the players can express themselves, where they can compete, and through that experiential learning, um, they hopefully can become better individual players but also better contributors to the, to the team. And so for us... It's a, it's a team of coaches um, coaching an individual player, coaching a team, coaching a squad, and hopefully having some sort of influence across our whole club as well, down into the juniors and, and uh, across into our women's program as well, which is, uh, which is obviously um, going gangbusters in the last um, couple of years. The growth there is, is phenomenal. So um, if we can have some sort of positive influence on uh, each individual that participates in our in our club, um, if collectively the the best twenty two men at our club can perform together um, against the best teams in the Premier Division, um, and if we can create a connected culture right down through our squad across senior men and women and down through the whole club, um, and that extends out to to parents and supporters and sponsors and. Um, all, all players, of course, and coaches, but um, the community more broadly, um, then we've achieved something pretty pretty special. And um, that's not always easy to measure that. So obviously, as a senior coach, I'm well aware that um, most people will measure our success on the senior men's uh, ladder at the like end of... Like always they do, Greg, or like always. At the end of 18 rounds and, and then potentially how you go in, in September. Uh, and obviously that's a goal for all uh, teams and, and clubs um, at the beginning of the year. but uh, and, and we certainly want to be sustainably one of those clubs that has a senior men's team competing uh, with the very best teams in Premier Division. But there are other things, um, again, around participation and, and growth and development and, you know, whether our, whether our players are coming through and being involved in the elite pathways is really important to us as well whether our yeah. players can go on and get themselves onto a VFL list. Um, we, you know, we've got uh, three or four players training at VFL clubs at the moment and uh, we're obviously stoked with that and really hoping they do get a list spot and um, we're here to support them all the way. 
Yeah, yeah. And I really think it's an interesting model you're putting into with this um, idea of, you know, it's all for one, all for all in a way, in type of sense, which I think is really interesting and really unique and that community feel. When you started coaching all the way back in South Launceston, yourself, Brad, what was that like for you? First time coaching, you know, you've not played the game for 10 years. How, how do you how do you cope with that, being a coach in front of 22, you know, blokes who are about the same age as you? How, how did you go with that? Yeah, it's a good question, mate. And for me, I mean, a really unique situation. I, I coached and played my first senior game on the same day. So um, I, I actually coached for a couple of years at a club, um, Prospect Football Club, um, going back in 2009, 2010. Um, they were a pretty large junior footy club uh, and they'd never had a senior team before um, and, and they were looking for a coach. And, and that was the moment when I was able to step back into footy. So uh, Michael Howard, uh, Kelvin, Daniel, the three men who I can vividly remember having a chat to in, in late 2008 to say we're, we're keen to get a senior men's footy team up are you interested? And so that was uh, that was a pretty amazing um, journey for me, mate. As you said, um, first time coach at senior footy, and um, yeah, I ended up playing as well. Um, but I found that um, to, to your question, very quickly the players um, will will suss you out and determine whether you're any good or not. Um, so it's not necessarily about reputation for me. It's about um, what are, you, what are you going to provide today and what might you provide to me tomorrow? So um, you're right, I then, after a couple of years as a playing coach, at, um, we're talking like absolute local footy, like it's um, it's very much grassroots footy where I started. Um, and then, yeah, stepped across into the Tasmanian State League um, for two years uh, under Mitch Thorpe, who was the uh, playing senior coach at South Launceston in 2012 and 2013 when I was there. And they were a really interesting club. Um, they'd never played Tasmanian State League finals before. And Mitch, uh, Mitch had just taken over as, as head coach um, in 2012. And um, he asked me to be his, his senior assistant. And um, there, there, weren't a lot of, there weren't a lot of coaches um, in the program at that stage. It may be different now, but... Uh, so my, my role was was bench coach. I was I was the non-playing coach, um, and I also sort of took care of the midfield as well. So over the course of a couple of years, um, uh, largely under Mitch's leadership, we were able to put in place a program that um, accelerated the the uh, the capacity of that particular squad. Um, and then 2013, um, winning the Tasmanian State League Premiership was um, was was quite rewarding. Um, absolutely, and we're almost up to a ten-year reunion. So I look forward to look forward to having a beer with the boys um, in uh, in about eighteen months. Yes, yes, that sounds super unique and interesting. And that grand final, tell me about the day. Give me give me the idea as a coach. It's a bit of di- different scenario to being the player for yourself. Was it nerve wracking? Guessing it was a bit of a tense old day for yourself. Yeah, um, I think it's. It is different as a coach. Um, of course, you're uh, you're anxious and and you are you have a, a heightened uh, alertness. But I think it's really important to be as calm as possible 
um, because you do know that um, it's an incredibly difficult game, Aussie rules football. It's brutal. It's, um, you know, what what's in front of your players for the next two hours um, is a really, really difficult physical and mental challenge. And so what they're looking for, I think, from you is, is confidence and certainty. Um, not over the top, not ridiculous. Um, you don't need to be arrogant, but... Um, no, I actually found and, and, and find that when involved in, in big games and finals and, and grand finals as a coach, um, I actually find that I'm possibly more calm than usual um, because you do recognise that that is your role and that's what your players need and desire from you on that day. So um, simplicity is key. Um, put a smile on your face and understand that you know, these opportunities don't come around very often and, and try and enjoy it. Um, of course, at the end of the day, if you win it, it's much more enjoyable. But um, in the lead up and before a game, um, your players are just looking to, to see that you're somewhat relaxed and, and have things under control. Yes, yes. And uh, what was the margin in the grand final, mate? Was it an easy one for you or was it a close one? Mm. Gee, you're testing me now, Pat. Um I want to say that it was a it was about fifteen points, but someone will probably uh, hit me up on Facebook or something and, and tell me that I'm um, wildly wrong on that. But it, it's definitely a game deep into the fourth quarter. Um, it was back in the day when you had a um, at Tasmanian State League level they they implemented the um, substitutes vest oh. for, for a couple of years. Remember how that was in the yes, in yeah. the NFL, like the genuine. Um, fifth player on the bench substitute that, wow. that wore the green vest until you brought him on, like not the not the concussion sub we have now. But I can vividly remember that um, uh, big big Bart McCulloch, uh, who played at Brisbane for a little bit, he came back and was a really influential player for us uh, at South Launceston. I can remember that uh, he, he absolutely did not want the red vest. Um, uh, uh, and, uh, and, yeah, it was a game that, that went... They went right down to the wire, and it was it was great. Down in Tassie, you, you get about five thousand people to to the grand final um, at uh, what's now called Utah Stadium. Um, it was York Park when I grew up. It's had a few names since then, but um, obviously AFL standard um, stadium where they where that particular grand final was played. And uh, yeah, it was certainly a a thrilling day for for all of our players and, and coaches and supporters. Yeah, yeah. And in terms of, you know, Tasmanian football in general, Brad, you know, I, I see down there it's completely different to Melbourne. The passion is so big because it's an AFL team. The the rivalries between Hobart and Launceston, it's just awesome to hear. And some of the stories you hear, it's just it's just great. Like, what, why is it so there in terms of those experiences, if you get my... Oh, it's a footy state, mate. I mean, absolutely. Um, in the same way that uh, Victoria, South Australia and Western Australia are footy states. Um, so too is Tasmania. So as I said before, you, you grow up playing the game. Um, uh, certainly in, in, in my lifetime, all, um, all Tasmanians do pick a, an AFL team and, and support it. Um, in my case, it was Essendon. So I've sort of landed living in the, in the area of the team that I grew up barracking for and, and obviously um, coaching in the Essendon District Football League um, against a number of the against a number of the players that are now coaching uh, locally that probably I supported as a kid too. So 
um, you know, Barnard and, and Boris Buick and and these guys, um, uh, I'm a little bit younger than them. So um, truth be told, I probably pretended to be them in the backyard, mate. <laughs> <laughs> that's a good that's a good thing then so next time you bump into the guys down at Greenvale but maybe uh, and Boris uh, yeah. Buick will be uh, going yeah okay that's that's an interesting thought there Brad so that, that'll be uh, that's something to uh, think about I'll, I'll be honest I think everyone pretended to play like someone at one stage Brad to be honest I think I try to pretend to play like Ponting at one stage being in the backyard or trying to play like Nathan Brown for Richmond so I think, I think that's how it rolls in the end yeah, absolutely. And we've all we've all got a few stories. One of my best mates um, still to this day talks about the day that he uh, that he got a Test cricketer out. Um, Sean Young, who played uh, one Test match for Australia, he uh, he a great guy. He played uh, he played local cricket in Launceston uh, for South Launceston against us for for a long time. And my mate uh, my mate got him out, uh, rattled his cage one day. And, he still talks about how he got a test cricketer out uh, to this day. Uh, so we've all got our stories. Yes, yes, yeah. So, uh, you know, I was going to say as well, you know, you go to Port Melbourne then and you coached under Gary Ayres. Now, Gary Ayres is probably one of the best football coaches um, at the VFL level, coached AFL as well. Um, now he's gone off to do stuff in the Eastern Football League. Can you give me an idea going to Port Melbourne from doing going to Tasmania? You're with a club that's you just won a premiership, and then get the opportunity to go to Port Melbourne on the mainland. What, what's that like for you? Yeah, you're right. We we us Tasmanians do refer to it as the mainland. That's a good uh, that's a good pick up there, Pat. Um, no, look, I was incredibly fortunate that Gary um, at the end of 2013. Um, needed some new assistant coaches. Um, uh, he'd had Peter Searle uh, at the club before that um, and Adam Strobelak as well who'd, who'd moved on to a full-time role um, in the game and, and he needed, yeah, some new assistants and, and I was lucky enough to, as I said, just to spend a couple of years um, doing okay with the with the midfield at South Launceston. So, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a great opportunity for me to, to work under Gary and learn, uh, as you said, from someone who's um, a legend of the game and has been involved um, as a player and a coach for for many decades now. So, uh, yeah, I was incredibly fortunate to come across and spend three years at Port Melbourne um, as a senior assistant coach. So, um, incredibly grateful to to Gaz um, for the for the time I spent at, at Port Melbourne. A great club. A really, really good club, Port Melbourne, and um, the the VFL League obviously um, has evolved over the journey and will continue to do so. And there's some um, interesting challenges with the Eastern Seaboard competition now, and uh, obviously COVID's had an impact. But um, Port Melbourne Footy Club is um, is everything that you love about a local football club, um, but playing at that semi elite level, um, it's phenomenal. The the quality of the player. Um, and, and the and the play that a team um, like that and like Williamstown and like Frankston and like Werribee and all of the other uh, standalone VFL clubs, it's remarkable that their players um, have a day job and then uh, can perform like that against full-time professionals uh, in the aligned clubs and in the AFL uh, VFL program. So, yeah, I really enjoyed my time at Port Melbourne and 
uh, I'm really grateful to to Ezzy for for allowing me to uh, to assist him for for a little bit of time there. Yeah, and what did you learn from him in terms of coaching and developing players? What, what was the biggest take takes from that time in Port Melbourne? Ezzy is really a um, a players coach, so um, I think if he uh, and like most coaches, if if you asked him um, if he'd still like to play today, it would be a resounding yes. Um, so a massive competitor, Gary is enormous competitor, and um, he would often um, pass on some of the learnings from from his days with Yabby Jeans and and other people over the journey as well. But he um, he's a players coach, so what I would say that means is um, he has or, or had uh, when I was there pretty good relationships um, with his with his players, and and very much um, those that gave to him or to the program or to the club, he would reciprocate that. Um, it's an interesting um, it's an interesting competition, the VFL. You do have, you know, up to half your team come and go most years. Um, but I, I came in um, a couple of years after they'd gone undefeated through the 2011 Premiership year, Port Melbourne. So um, Shane Valenti and Toby Pinwell and John Baird and um, Adrian Bonadio and uh, Julian Rowan, these sort of guys um, who were, you know, Sam Fleming probably uh, more than anyone in that list, um, were diehard Port Melbourne players by that stage and they'd had some real success and they wanted more. Um, they were hungry for that. And so I would say that Ayersy very much, um, he had a, he had a competitive, he has a competitiveness um, that rubs off on, on the club and the players and the coaches within it. Um, and a real care and a desire um, for his players to do well. And I think that um, is probably the major learning um, that I got uh, from Ayersy in particular. Um, but, you know, notwithstanding that, there's there's a lot to learn, I think, at, at all levels of the game from, from any people that you come into contact with. So whether it's a, a legend of VFL AFL like Gary Ayers or, or um, you know, a, a junior coach at Maribyrnong Park Footy Club this year. Um, I'm always looking to learn. I think um, that's an important that's an important capability, um, not just in coaching, but maybe in our professional lives and, and our lives more broadly as well. Yes, yes, yes. And give me an idea, what's it like developing a non-AFL team to compete against like AFL clubs? How, how do you go about trying to work out, okay, who's going to take on well, let's say Travis Cloak's coming back from an injury playing for the Collingwood's VFL team, for example, or you've got guys from the Western Bulldogs being dropped um, to play for Footscray. How would you go about trying to work out who's on who and, you know, discussing that point of view? Because it would be very tricky considering it's basically a non-paid team playing as a pay team, if you get my get my gif. Yeah, absolutely. At the end of the day, um, uh, you just do. So... Um, if they have a forward that needs a matchup and you have a backman, then he gets the job. Um, if if you have uh, five or six midfielders that you trust to get the job done on the inside and then get it to the outside and, and limit the opposition's effectiveness, then you just back them in. Um, you are right. I mean, we, we certainly, I can remember having some match committee with Ayersy where you, you're wondering, you know, who do you play on Majak Door or who do you play on Jake Stringer for Footscray or, you know, who do you play on um, on Redpath or someone like that? Um, 
Lin Jong was, was always an amazing player at VFL level and, and had some opportunity at AFL level. Um, Mitch Honeychurch would always kick four or five goals against you um, at, at that level. So you're right. I mean, you did put a, a, enough work, I think, into opposition individual players. But at the same time, it's possible that um, you put the work in and then those players get elevated on the Friday night in the AFL team and then uh, you have to go to plan B. So at VFL level, I think uh, flexibility is key. I mean, it's it's some years since I've been there now and it's obviously changed, but um, it's probably key in, in all coaching, I suppose, is to is to have plans and, and um, back your team to execute those plans. But um, if, if variables occur as they inevitably do um, in the first minute or the first quarter or the first three quarters, then uh, you have to have the flexibility to adjust. Yes, yes, yes. So you know, you go to Maribyrnong Park and um, give me an idea of how you got there and then became the coach. Yeah, absolutely. So I um, stepped away from the game at the end of 2016. Uh, work was was ramping up and and basically I, I think probably as a senior assistant at um, state league level uh, either in Tassie or or in Victoria you're probably doing about 20 hours a week I suppose um, and so I, I substituted that time um, into my work um, so what I what I realized after uh, a couple of years of doing that was that it it's great for, for your career and for, for obviously your employer. Uh, and in my case, it's, it's been RSL Victoria, which um, I'm really proud of some of the work and, and developmental uh, capability that we've sort of delivered over that period of time, particularly in the, the membership, marketing, communication space. But you do, you do realise that there has, to be, there has to be more to your day, week, life, and so for me, I thought, gee, I'd love to get back involved in footy after a couple of years out. So I was living in the in the area. I wanted I wanted it to be at a relatively high level. I thought that I had great memories of local footy, so I thought that local footy was where I wanted to get back involved, but at a high standard. So the the Premier Division of Essendon District obviously ticked that box. Maribyrnong Park was my closest club. Uh, I was living at the time in in Kensington, and so um, yeah, I, I spoke spoke to the club and and to see if there was any opportunity. and And as it turned out, they uh, they needed they needed an assistant coach. So uh, I came down. Uh, that was late two thousand and eighteen, uh, and then yeah, a full season as an assistant coach. Um, took care of the midfield. Uh, again, a bit of a theme with with midfield coaching over over my journey, probably. But um, took care of the midfield, uh, a really young midfield in 2019 at Maribyrnong Park, uh, and then obviously since then um, there's been significant change at our club. Uh, I'm now the head coach. We've had the pandemic. Um, we've got an entirely, well, almost an entirely new committee. Um, we've got several new coaches. We've got. A lot of different players in the senior team now. Uh, I wouldn't say new players necessarily because a lot of them have come through the ranks at our club and that's something that I've been really big on with uh, with Andrew Brockfield, our president, and Scotty Agresta, our footy manager, and, and all the way down is to say that we want to invest heavily in our own people 
And also, of course, when the opportunity arises, um, you want to add good people to your environment when you can. And um, we uh, we have done that over the last couple of years and, and we'll continue to do so. But our number one priority will be um, improving our program, um, improving our club, and we believe that if that means that individuals are improving and and naturally the, the results and the output of our senior men's team um, should also improve as well. Yeah, yeah. And just um, given the circumstances as well, that what happened, you becoming head coach, um, as we know, unfortunately, there was an incident with um, well, formerly known as Dan, uh, Dean Laidley, now Dan, Daniel Laidley now. Uh, there was a situation there and then you were handed the coaching position. Give me an idea. How, how does that? How do you go about that? That situation there, and then get, get given the job. Like that would be. A, I don't know how you can. How do you cope with that in, in terms of that situation? For one, yeah, I didn't find it in terms of coaching, like being the senior coach. I didn't find it difficult at all uh, to step in and, and lead. It, it comes quite naturally to me. I'd coached before, um, hold leadership positions in in work and in sport, and um, so that's. I'm more than comfortable with that. Um, obviously, the situation at the time um, was uh, unusual. So um, we were really lucky as a, as a football club. Um, so the pandemic hit, a uh, change of coach happened, a lot of uncertainty. And so the, the key thing that we tried to reinforce with our playing group throughout 2020, which, of course, was um, a season where not a single game was played, and then uh, moving forward into 2021 as well, the same themes uh, were continued and that was that when we got the opportunity to train, to be together, to maybe play, uh, we would embrace it and we would understand the value that we put on that. Um, And the other thing was to remain uh, as connected as possible, uh, even if we weren't allowed to physically do so. And so you've heard a lot of stories about how, you know, clubs and individuals and families and uh, organisations have, have tried to remain connected. And, of course, we we did that as well. Um, the the thing that I think has held us in, in really good stead is our people. So, um, to be honest, there, there's three or four people that our club could have turned to to coach the club moving forward. And, um, obviously, uh, at the time, they decided that, that they wanted to go with me. Um, but I'm incredibly fortunate that uh, I've got wonderful assistant coaches and, um, and and indeed beyond that into our medical team and our, and our volunteers and even within the playing group, there's significant football experience that is a big part of um, what we're trying to, what we're trying to achieve today. And so um, Jared Carey uh, stepped up as, um, so he was an assistant coach and he's still an assistant coach and is also our football manager. So he stepped up into that role it was um, it was something we identified that we needed. Um, Nick Bailey was an assistant coach at the time. He's uh, still an assistant coach um, for me, um, but he's also coaching our reserves. So really identifying that we had quality people at the club, and we needed them to to um, probably pull a little bit more weight um, so that we could leverage their experiences and expertise um, even more. So we then uh, we've got um, Darren Caddy took care of our under 18s under 18.5 program um, this year um, and subsequently now uh, I've elevated him to, to a senior assistant coach for 2022. So it's very much about understanding, I think, um, what 
resources and capability and uh, and just good people do you have at your club and how can we get the best out of them? Um, and that's not just the players. That's also the coaches and the volunteers. And so Andrew Brockfield, I know our president, um, he's working hard on that off the field. Chrissy McCall, our, um, our head of um, head of medical, she's working hard on that as well. And obviously I'm working hard on that as, as head coach. And, and our players, you know, Scott Clark and um, Georgia Boot and, and Josh Cole, our, our relatively young and, and some would say inexperienced leaders, um, Jake Byrush, and um, we've just obviously had Sean Hetherington join the club uh, with VFL experience. So we uh, we very much give people an opportunity um, to step up and shine. Uh, and in my experience, when you do that and you give them the support and the guidance and the tools to do it, uh, inevitably they do they do flourish. So. Uh, we're really fortunate that we've, uh, in such a tough time, like it's been a, a horrible couple of years for, for much of society and community sports not immune from that, um, we've actually really had quite a positive vibe within our football club, um, within our program um, and within our senior men's team. So we obviously hope to uh, enhance that and continue to grow and develop and and really drive our improvement um, as we start to look now at 2022. Yeah, yeah. And quickly, just on the season that was 2021, um, how did you cope with the whole cancellation in the end? It was a bit of a – in the end, it was a bit inevitable um, and a bit disappointing because we were, um, as I know, with the, my media team in the Essendon District Football League, we were looking forward to a very interesting final series, which could have been with you guys in the top four – what was that like not knowing and then you could have played, if you, if you know what I mean? What, what have been, that would have been like if, if you had the situation where they would have said that week, they would have said, yeah, we're playing footy that week, if you know what I mean? What, what would have been like? Yeah, I, I would say it was difficult, um, uh, frustrating. There were, you know, I'm ever an optimist, Pat. So, you know, in my mind, it was always possible to, to play the whole season. It was always possible to come back with no crowd, it was always possible to get a finals series underway. And, of course, none of those things um, or some of those things didn't eventuate and, and we understand the, the reasons why. It was really difficult uh, for our players, for our coaches, but I think probably the people who it's taken the greatest toll on is the volunteers. So uh, we're really fortunate that our volunteers have managed to get our club through the last couple of years and we're... We're surviving and we're really strong and we're looking forward to a, a great 2022. But it's been it's been really difficult. If you if you think about um, some of the industries that have been heaviest hit by lockdown, um, anything where there's a social gathering, basically. So yeah. throw hospitality into that, which includes um, canteen, bar, social functions, um, even a gathering, physical gathering of your club committee, which is ten or a dozen people, just not not possible. Um, for large parts of the last two years. So I think that has inevitably taken a bit of a toll and what we um, continually try and reinforce to our volunteers is how incredibly important they are and how um, our players, supporters, uh, coaches, parents are so appreciative for the work they do. Um, and, and they will tell you, of course, that they don't do it for thanks or or gratitude of any sort, they, they do it because they love it. And I, I think that is partly the case as well. We certainly understand now better than ever uh, what role participation in all forms 
um, community sport can have on our lives and our families and and our community more broadly after the last two years. Yeah, spot on, Brad. I think that's the thing I've worked out, um, you know, that local sport and no matter if it's cricket, football, tennis, I mean, I think it just generates community and atmosphere and it creates a sense of purpose to do on the weekend saying, sitting at home watching the AFL. I think it's just a better, I think it's a better thing. And being a part of the media team this year, I learned a lot during the year that every club has got some community around it and, you know, your club is the same and it was, and and from the experience that I got from Maribyrnong Park, it, it's something that is so interesting and so unique that I don't think I'll get it at any other club, but it's so, so interesting. And that community, community just converges on everyone. And, you know, not everyone knows everyone, maybe, you know, through family or anything like that. But I just find that everyone's like, you know, the club gets around it. If there's a big win, if there's a loss, everyone's still back. They're still hanging back for that one drink to have a chat to someone and go have a laugh. And it's the great thing about local sport and the beauty of it, which I find so cool. And it's something that I think, hopefully this year we don't have interruptions with local football. Um, you know, hopefully local cricket can still continue. There's been a lot of cancellations in that. And I think it's something that we're all, you know, willing to keep pushing on because I think the professional side sometimes gets lost in the whole, the money and the aspects of that. And, and I think, you know, when you get community sport, it just gets that generation of people coming in, wanting to watch football from young to old to middle age. And it's a great thing to see. Yeah, I couldn't agree more, Pat. And you were fortunate, or we were fortunate to have you and the EDFL media team um, at a home game uh, this uh, last year in, in 2021 when we played Pascaval. And uh, you would have seen there, obviously, that um, you know the um, the players, the coaches, the, the supporters, uh, and the and the volunteers and the support staff more broadly in the community um, just for that moment on a Saturday, you know, that couple of hours, one of our, one of our um, leaders, George Abood, um, often trots out the, uh, the, the line that it's the best two hours of the week uh, when, you, when you get to go and play footy and, and sometimes the rest of the boys just tell him he needs new lines because he uses it every Saturday. But I, I, I do think it resonates. I think um, during, that, during that period of participation, uh, of, of attempted performance on a Saturday afternoon. Uh, you're not thinking about anything else. You're not worried about uh, world events. Um, you're not concerned about, you know, your next job or, or your next relationship or anything that might be going on in your life. You are focused on um, the game. Now, it is just a game, but I think it's um, a really important outlet, um, particularly for young men, uh, I'm big on that and I, I, I'm really proud of the connection that our club has been able to give and, and um, our players and, and coaches and support staff have been able to contribute to, um, particularly over the last couple of years. But, um, yeah, I, I think it's it's ever-present. It's something that we want to see more of in 2022. You know, can't wait to get crowds back to local footy, to get you guys back as the as the EDFL media team to cover um, a home game. You know, we've got uh, we've got Aberfeldy in round one up at Clifton Park and then we have uh, Avondale Heights in a night game at home for round two. So for us, our two closest geographical neighbours um, to kick off the, the 2022 season, we couldn't be more excited. 
Yes, yes, it'll be really interesting. I'll be definitely trying to get Sprouts to win the over the the night game against Avondale Heights. I think it'll be a must watch there. So Sprouts, if you're listening, match of the day round two, Avondale Heights, Marlborough Park. Well, Monday. that's one of the um, one of the great developments uh, during COVID as well, Pat. So we had the ground re redeveloped, resurfaced. So it's phenomenal, um, including at night. So. Our surface, uh, I think <laughs> some would have said, was probably the worst in the competition before it was redeveloped. And and now it's uh, it's amazing. It can rain in the afternoon, heavy rain in the afternoon, and, and you're training with a dry ball in the evening. It's, uh, it's a phenomenal surface now, Monk Oval. And um, the quality of the lights, uh, obviously we're going to play a night game, so no problems at all there because the quality of our lights um, across... Uh, my experience in in footy at all levels uh, are phenomenal. So we're very fortunate, and yeah, we'd we'd love to have we'd love to have Sprouts and the team down for for match of the day uh, against Avondale Heights in round two. Yes, yes, I'll be putting that forward to him. He'll probably say to me, "We've got something else lined up," but I'll I'll try and push for it for you, Brad. Um, some final questions just to finish off, mate. You are a Tasmanian by heart. Do you think, when do you think Tassie's going to get an AFL team? The, the obvious question that everyone floats around, even even us mainlanders go that they should have a team by now. Like, do you think when do you think they're going to get one? And is it going to be in Hobart or is it going to be in Launceston? Do you think? Uh, that is one of the challenges uh, with the idea of a Tasmanian team. So um, it's great to see that uh, the Tasmanian Jack Jumpers have just entered the NBL. Um, I follow that. Uh, at arm's length, have followed their progression into the NBL. And I've got several um, friends and family members that have been along to games. There were some during uh, during lockdown last year in Launceston and on the northwest coast. And and obviously the, the, the Jack Jumpers play, I think, most of their games in, in Hobart at the, um, at the redeveloped stadium. So, yeah, that's been interesting to, to observe. Obviously, cricket, um, we've just watched an Ashes test match uh, played out in three days at uh, at uh, Blunston Arena or Bell Reve Oval, which is great. And Tassie's had a, a state side in the in the Sheffield Shield and the various cricket competitions for a long time. The AFL question is is a much more difficult one, just by virtue, I think, of the of the um, the economics of it. Uh, as I said before, uh, it's a it's a generational challenge. Uh, in my era, everybody grew up barracking for an AFL or a VFL team. Um, so you're not going to capture new market necessarily, new supporters to the game um, by putting a team in Tassie. But does Tasmania love the game uh, and do they probably deserve to have uh, a team playing, you know, half of their games uh, in Tasmania as the Tasmanian team? Yeah, absolutely they do. That's, that's probably a no-brainer, I think, for most footy heads. Yes, yes. Well, we'll hope so. Well, fingers crossed. It could be coming soon, and uh, be great to see once uh, once it's announced. Uh, I think it'd be an interesting watch there. If there was an opportunity to coach at a higher level in the future, now, Brad, would you willing to take that on, or is it something that you've kind of dismissed now that you're coaching head coach at Maribyrnong Park? Uh, it's not something that I've dismissed necessarily, Pat, but it's not it's not in my consciousness either. I, I'm. I don't have aspiration to to coach at a higher level. I'm um, incredibly fortunate and happy to be coaching at Maribyrnong Park. It's a great club in a in a great competition, the Essendon District Premier Division level. It's uh, it's really good footy, and, and I'm thoroughly enjoying it. And we've got a lot 
a lot to still try and achieve at, at that level. So um, we, we recognise that um, over the course of the last 10 years, you know, since since Dutchie uh, led, led the club to a couple of flags in nine and 10, um, our club hasn't really competed at the, the top end of the Premier Division of the Essendon District. So our aspiration is to do that sustainably uh, and that's what's driving me and, and driving our club at the moment. So that's firmly where um, where my focus is. Yes, yes. And we'll be definitely looking out for the uh, new season, which will be starting in April, so I cannot wait. Last question of this podcast, which has been, I think, really interesting, Brad, and you made some really interesting points across it with the coaching and the analytics of the game and the, all these things into that. Now, if you had one piece of advice you give to anyone out there, age groups, different age groups, demographic, um, what would that advice be? And I can... Also, I want to give the fact you shared as well, mate. It's about um, cystic fibrosis, which is an awful um, illness. Give me an idea of that as well. You know, just the support you've given to you to that as well. Oh, look, yeah, thanks, mate. I mean, this is a this is a shirt a, a dear friend of mine um, gave me some years ago. Now he actually did some endurance bike rides to, to fundraise for cystic fibrosis, and it's it's something that he was really. Um, passionate about and willing to do something about too which is important so thanks for that uh, thanks for that uh, plug uh, in terms of advice if there's one thing that I could um, have all players and, and coaches probably across um, all levels of the game um, understand it's that uh, it's not it's not as bad as you think it is um, and you are better than you think you are so I always believe that uh, we're our own worst critic, um, be that a player or a coach or, or indeed in, in corporate life, um, we're probably our own worst critic. And so back yourself, trust yourself, trust the people around you and, and give it a crack because you never know what might happen. Yes, yes, that's spot on there, Brad. That is really excellent advice and really interesting. I'll be honest, that was, that was really cool in, in terms of that thinking and modeling of saying that because a lot of people will think okay it's not as bad as what it is like no no it's really bad but you think about it you're putting everything to life we've gone for the last two years i think i think that's a perfect way to sum up uh, the end of the podcast mate uh brad it's been an excellent uh conversation i really enjoyed it really interesting um thanks for coming on thanks pat it's been a pleasure mate and always is to to chat footy with you cheers mate thank you very much Well, I hope you enjoyed the first episode of 2022 as much as I did. It was a really interesting conversation and a really interesting chat. That's all for this episode of the Paddy Tools Podcast. Many more episodes to come. And you can check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Spotify, Apple Podcasts and Simplecast. But from me to you, all for now.